Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Kelsey Bowler. And I'm Virginia Allen. Your mask collection is now obsolete. Airlines were one of the last holdouts for mask mandates, but at least for now, air travel mandates have ended. The Biden administration announced Tuesday evening that they will, in fact, appeal the ruling. Most people appear to celebrate the initial end of the mandate, including Uber, which removed their mask requirements. But is everybody celebrating too soon? What do you all think? Were you all following this mask whiplash? <laughs> well, I I loved Twitter over the weekend because it was just a sea of people celebrating, of taking pictures of themselves on airplanes without masks and throwing their masks away. And it felt like this big party of, of liberation. And speaking as someone who has run through an airport with a mask on, uh, just really not fun. And so personally, I was very, very excited that, oh my goodness, hopefully, um, never going to have to do that again. (laughs) Hopefully, we'll never have to mask our two-year-olds again, but it appears the Biden administration is still intent on doing that in um, trying to reverse this decision. So we'll see what happens. But for now, All masks are off, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, and also joining us today is Marguerite Bowling. She works on our media team here at the Heritage Foundation. We're super excited to have her back with us today. And Marguerite, you have little kids as well. So you know the horrors of trying to mask a child on public transportation. Yeah, we we avoided public transportation for that reason (laughs) because it's it's impossible. And it, it served no purpose. Absolutely. Makes zero sense. Well, um, hopefully, Kelsey, like you say, hopefully we are done with the mask. We'll see what this whole appeal, what shakes out. Um, But for right now, everyone, enjoy the freedom of taking an Uber or taking a flight mask-free. Lauren, speaking of flights, she is down in Florida right now for a Heritage Conference. But holding down the fort, of course, we have the amazing Kelsey Buller and Marguerite's joining us. Uh, So, Kelsey, go ahead and let us know what we have queued up on today's show. Yeah, today on Problematic Women, we're going to discuss whether homeschooling really is the best option for families these days, even full-time working moms. Plus, one conservative pundit is claiming that the left has heavily influenced what women really want away from their nature. Is he correct? And Prince Harry says he wants to raise his kids in a more equal world. As always, we'll be crowning a Problematic Woman of the Week, which this week involves some drama. (laughs) So each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. These days, most people have at least one side hustle, whether you sell earrings on Etsy, or maybe you walk dogs at night for Rover, or you're delivering for DoorDash. Side hustles are kind of just a way of life now, and they're a great option to bring in a little bit of extra income. Marguerite Bowling 
as we mentioned, is here with us today. Um, she is a full-time working mom. She is a, a busy wife. She has three kids. Um, but she signed up this year for a pretty big side hustle, uh, and that's the side hustle of homeschooling her daughter. And Marguerite, you know, you like we said, you know, you work full time on our heritage media team. You have a lot going on in your life. Why did you add homeschooling to this mix? Well, thank you for having me. And we looked at the education landscape in Maryland. We're in Prince George's County, and back in twenty at the uh, the fall of twenty twenty one, you know, it was remote only. Um, masks in school, and we did not like what the curriculum was offering. And we just thought, you know, there's got to be something better than this. Um, my husband and I were blessed that, you know, he it does shift work as a firefighter, so he's able to really be home and be the full-time teacher. Uh, and I was uh, given the opportunity to have some remote days where I could be home to help him. Uh, and we just took the plunge of doing this. And our, our mantra was, well, it's kindergarten. We, we can't mess this up too badly. But we've tried to be a little bit more than that. And, we, and we've really loved the journey so far. I mean, just practically speaking, um, I mean, how, how do you kind of wrap your mind around that as, okay, sure. I, I work full time. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to have this huge responsibility added on. And you have two other younger kids who aren't in school yet yes. that you're taking care of. And even though you and your husband are tag teaming, I mean, I feel like the temptation is, well, then a little bit of free time that we do have, you know, let's let's chill on the couch, let's go for a walk. But you guys said, no, 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 we're going to take that time and we're going to use it to educate our daughter. We have just it's, – it's like deciding to have children. You just got to work to make it work. Um, there's no perfect way and it's going to feel very uncomfortable and overwhelming at first. Um, just even exploring like what options are there to homeschool, there's no one right way to do it. Um, and there's a lot of different things that you can be doing. And so we – and we kind of – we experimented some and we took that um, that choice this year um, to, to try different options to see what worked well with Rosemary and her learning skills. Um, but it, it just at the end of the day, you just got to think, OK, if I'm able to make this, you know, uh, keep up the responsibilities that I do have to keep up for work, um, but we're able to do this, then to us, that was a greater value than necessarily, you know, it, it'd be easier for her to just go to school. Um, but we really wanted to give her more more opportunity than that. Yeah. Kelsey, I would love to get your perspective on this because – you have two kids. Pretty soon you're going to have to be considering where you're putting them in school. I mean, when when you heard Marguerite was homeschooling, what did you think? <laughs> so for those uh, who don't know, uh, when I was at Heritage full time, I worked very closely with Marguerite. I have seen firsthand how busy she is, how demanding her job is. So the fact that she has added homeschooling to this on top of taking care of her younger two children... Um, I'm impressed to put it lightly. <laughs> I um, like, you know, many listening, I want to know more about how it works. And the first step to homeschooling a child or multiple children is often what, what 
I feel is the most intimidating in that you have to figure out what homeschooling model to follow, where you get all your resources. And, and to me, that that's such a huge responsibility and a huge decision. And I'm curious, Marguerite, how long did it take you to do your research and, and how did you go about finding the model that would work for your family? Yeah, that's that's a great point, Kelsey. And that's a that's a great question because it th- that probably is the most intimidating part, right? Um, we definitely reached out to other people that homeschooled. Um, so there's a, a mom of uh, 12 kids at our church who, I mean, she's been homeschooling for wow. 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> so she was my mentor. And she actually, they now, they watch our kids part-time. So it's amazing. Um, but they really gave us some good advice Um I read a couple of books on the different ways you can you can do homeschooling. You can do what they call it unschooling, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, and and I've just found that people you know do what they feel kind of works best um, for them. Um, people gave us ideas on different curriculums you can try, and I think those have great value. Some of them like literally will tell you like you say this to the child, and then you ask this question, and you go from there. So it's like they can go pretty granular, so that you don't feel like you have to come up with everything. Um, and then there's other options where you know we decided, hey, we're gonna. We're going to come up with, you know, we, she needs to work on tracing her letters and her numbers. We're just going to make some homemade worksheets and we're going to have her do this every day. So she gets that repetition and, and that, that sort of muscle memory, I guess. Um, but I, th- I think the first part was just planning out, like, what do we want her to try to achieve this school year? What do we think that school year looks like? You know, she does sort of a Monday through Friday, but we really, it's usually like four days. And then she has kind of a play day where she goes over to the um, the family's house that watches our kids because they have a little boy her age and they play. Um, and then Saturday and Sunday, we might do some more schoolwork just because I feel like we kind of have to follow that Monday through Friday model, but you really don't. That's That's really what we learned. It was like getting over that idea that this has got to be like school and it's, mm. it's not. Um, it's, it's kind of what you decide the education is going to be. And it is a lifestyle choice. Um, so once we sort of settled down in that and we realized, hey, we could do this, um, it, it really just, we really start to, started to see things take off. And I have to point out, and Marguerite, perhaps you can share more about this with our listeners, but the Heritage Foundation now has this pretty incredible resource center uh, that includes links to the different homeschooling models. Um, and, and in addition to that, for those who don't want to homeschool, um, it includes information on different types of school models, um, like micro schools, charter models, private models. And this is really incredible. It looks pretty um, on the newer side. So maybe you can share more because for me, someone you know who's thinking about, I, I probably should begin familiarizing myself with these different models so that I'm ready to make this decision when the time comes, this seems like a great place to start. Yeah, that um, that's a, I think it really gets to parents deserve education choice, right? So if we don't like what we're seeing in the public schools or even, you know, in some private schools, we need 
education choice. We need options so that we feel we can make what's the best decision for our children for learning and progressing. Because I mean, if you think about it, what do you really? Why do you want your ch- children to get an education? It's probably so that they can be you know, critical thinkers. They can be self sufficient. They can take care of themselves. They can thrive in society. You know, it's not necessarily. I just want to sit there and make them memorize these facts. It's more like what? What? What is my ultimate goal? And I think. Like you said, looking at what are my options, and they aren't just sending my child to the school that I live within a certain, you know, lines, um, that there's there's more opportunity than that. Yeah. Well, and as we've heard about so many schools going woke, even private schools, I was um, talking over the weekend um, with a Jewish family who live in New York City, and they said, you know, even in their Jewish school, kids are being asked to share their pronouns. So, I mean, it's just it, – it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. So, I mean, is is homeschooling the answer, do you think, at the end of the day? Like, is, is it the, the safest option or the best option, do you think, for families? I, I think it gets back to – I think the best option is education choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that homeschooling sort of it's, – it's so wide that, you know, you can include like – co-ops or micro-schooling or things like that that aren't necessarily accredited, but they are providing an education to your child. Um, it, but ultimately, it's, it's it's really the values that you want to pass down to your children. And some schools are still, you know, following that, but they're p- facing a lot of pressure from from woke interests. Um, and, and certainly the public schools are just overwhelmed by it. So that's that's definitely tough. But I think for us, you know, we, we live in a state that's not very – doesn't offer a lot of education choice. So for us, this was the, the choice, was was the homeschooling. But, I mean, we are – we've tapped into – we, we did a co-op this year that was kind of loosely organized. And we're going to do a tutorial co-op n- next fall that's a little more like they hire tutors and – Rosemary will go in two days a week and kind of get that classroom experience. I mean, so there's a lot of options. It's not just your kids at home and you just you, you're just doing the the workbooks together. Like, there's a lot of different things yeah. parents can do, and and there's ways that they can make it work around their work time too, because that's a stressor. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you've got to get your work done. Yeah, yeah. Homeschooling has definitely changed. A lot in the past 10 years. I homeschooled a little bit when I was a kid. Um, and, you know, my mom will call me sometimes and say, you know, I just met this family at homeschooled and they listed off all these resources. And they were like, I would have killed to have those resources yeah. back in the day. So definitely the options that you have now are just <laughs> wild and the programs offered. So, Margaret, thanks for sharing. Thank um, you. Stay tuned, though, um, because up next we're going to discuss whether or not the far left has influenced the desires of women. Hmm. But first, I want to tell you all about one of my other favorite podcasts. It's called Heritage Explains, and it's hosted by our friends Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher. They break down the big policy debates that you hear about in the news at a 101 level. They use music and they tell a story, um, but they also bring on heritage experts to explain really complex issues. So go ahead and pull out your phone and subscribe to Heritage Explains so that you can be in the know on all of those big issues that are facing America today.
Dennis Prager is most well known for founding PragerU and producing countless educational videos on tons of different diverse policy issues. Dennis Prager is also an avid columnist, and uh, we actually run his columns right here at The Daily Signal on a regular basis. And over the weekend, I noticed that he had a new column out titled, What the Left Has Done to Women's Desires. And this piqued my interest, and apparently it also piqued the interest of a lot of other people because it got a lot of views over the weekend. So as a woman, I thought, okay, you know, let me let me read this and find out uh, what Dennis Prager thinks that the left has done to the desires of women, and, you know, is he right or wrong, at least in my estimate? So um, Dennis Prager, he lists five areas where he says that the left has changed or influenced what women really want. So the five are the desire to bond with a man, desire to marry, desire to have children, desire to have sex with commitment, and desire to protect children's innocence. So he says um, that all of these things women naturally want, but the far left has influenced the beliefs or um, the feelings of women otherwise. Um, So we're going to break down a few of these. We don't have time to get to all of them. Um, But I want to first talk about his first point, a woman's desire to bond with a man. He writes that women have this natural desire to form a close relationship with a man, but the radical feminists that um, they have really kind of put forth this narrative that women don't need a man. Um, But he says the reality is that most women need a man just as most men need a woman. Most men don't fully grow up without a woman, and most women don't fully grow up without a man. So what do you all think? Has has the feminist movement convinced women that they don't need a man? And if so, is that a bad thing? Kelsey, I want to toss it to you. What do you think? The feminist movement has certainly convinced some women that they don't need a man uh, as much as they probably would like to convince all women they don't need a man. I (laughs) I don't think they've achieved that much uh, success yet. And I don't think it's ever possible because I do think Dennis Prager is is right um, that, you know, women do have a natural desire to form a close relationship with a man. I mean, that is really how humanity has function for the vast majority of uh, history. So this isn't just an American cultural thing. This is a human thing. Um, And so we know the left works very hard to erase the importance of um, the bond between men and women and sort of this rah, 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 you can do it all feminist propaganda. But the reality is society functions best with both a man and a woman. And, and you just heard that a perfect example um, in Marguerite's household, how they are able to um, raise their children and, and work with each other, uh, make their schedules complement each other so they can both be contributing to their household income, to their children's education, and, and to caretaking. It's it's really beautiful when, um, of course, it's it's chaotic <laughs> the way it works. That <laughs> might sound more simple than, of course, it is in real life, but it is beautiful the way men and women naturally complement themselves. And I, I think it's obvious in many examples that we've talked about on this show, uh, the ways in which the left is trying to reduce 
um, this bond, this natural bond between men and women. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, messaging is so important. <laughs> and I think the the messaging of kind of these far left feminists um, has been seizing on this message of empowerment and that, you know, to, you can be a, a powerful woman and, and to be a powerful woman, you kind of have to stand on your own two feet and you don't need anybody else. Um, and it's an interesting narrative because while, of course, we all love being empowered, like, oh, my goodness, that that's great to feel like you're strong and you're capable. Um, at the end of the day, we all need each other. Like, n- not only is there such a, an argument to be made for um, the beauty of a spouse, but, like, just community. Like, we need each other. We need people. Um, we learned this during COVID. Like, you know, put put people, um, you know, isolate people from each other for an extended period of time. And, you know, what did we see happen? Anxiety levels go up. Depression goes up. Um, so intrinsically, we are created for connection and partnership and to co-labor with other people. Um, and that's not weakness. It's actually just how we're made. I don't know. Marguerite, what do you think? Yeah, I agree 100%. I think women especially were hardwired to want to make those connections, to have lasting relationships. Um, And we want that. We have that desire um, to bond with a man, but then also to have children too. I think Mm -hmm. that's – those are – I don't think that despite all the propaganda, women still – want that. And there's just so many competing interests and they feel almost like bad for wanting that. Mm. Yeah. Well, and that was another point um, that Dennis Prager raised was that the feminist movement uh, has really kind of attacked this um, desire of women to have kids and, you know, has said that might not be for everybody. And, and again, it kind of goes back to, in a way, this like empowerment um, narrative that they have somehow kind of adopted and, and warped a little bit to say, um, you know, as, as a woman, you can be free and you don't, you know, kids are a burden. You should just uh, kind of pursue the things that you want to pursue, um, which there's a level that is nice to that. But then I think it completely misses the gift of kids, right? Absolutely. I have felt most empowered when I had my children. Um, And to me, my, and I've been very upfront with my boss, my career path is I want to do a great job right now, but someday I want to be a full-time mom, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, that's, that's where I see my career path point. And there's nothing wrong with that. And women shouldn't feel like they're somehow a failure or there's by stepping back and focusing, you know, I work harder as a mom. I come to work to relax. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I, I want to ask you about that because you say you feel most empowered have felt most empowered yeah. as a mom. What, yeah. do you, what do you mean by that? Oh, it's huge. I mean, just, uh, you know, going through the whole stage and having a newborn, um, I, that was probably one of the toughest things I've ever done with my, my first child because it's so it's so new, like just changes your life. Um, but then you just realize how much you're capable of, how much your body's capable of. Mm. Uh, and it's amazing. It's this amazing gift that women have been given. And, you know, it's sad that we're told not only like it's wrong, but – but maybe we shouldn't even, you know, we shouldn't even do that. There are women out there being convinced they shouldn't have kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and Marguerite, I love that you're able to say that on a podcast <laughs> that is, uh, you know, hosted by your employer that your goal is at some point to be a full-time mom. Yeah. And what what we've seen all this propaganda do is really shame women away from 
feeling that inside and especially saying it out loud, it um, sadly takes a lot of bravery to kind of admit that this is what I really want when I ask myself, you know, what is my deepest desire at this moment with these little kids? You know, it, it is to make them my priority. And I, I have so much respect to you, Margaret, for the way you've um, changed your life and the way you're able to share that with us today. And, you know, in many ways, I feel the same way uh, with with two little ones. I'm trying to figure out how much do I want to work? Um, how much uh, do I want to spend, um, you know, prioritizing them? How can I rearrange my life? And in some ways that requires um, taking pay cuts, which is why I have such a problem with the gender pay gap propaganda, uh, because I choose to take a pay gap in my life right now so that I can prioritize my children. And and we need space for that to be available to women, not just to pursue, but to, to vocalize, uh, because all this rah-rah feminist propaganda tells women, you can climb the career ladder, you can do it all, you can be a girl boss and be an amazing mom at the same time. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, something's got to give in that situation and women can make their own decisions about what types of sacrifices and changes they want to make in their lives. But the fact of the matter is children and especially babies need a full-time caretaker. And so, you know, we, we, as mothers, we actually can't do it all at the same time. Um, and I look at my career as a very long-term thing where I don't have to achieve everything in this exact moment. Um, and, you know, right now, like you, Marguerite, my priority are those little ones. And, you know, but it's something I'm still thinking about every day. And I think as conservatives, we can do young, younger women a great favor by normalizing these feelings of wanting to prioritize your children when they're small, either temporarily or long-term. Yeah, that's so beautiful, Kelsey. I just have to say, and especially talking about taking a pay cut intentionally, like that society will tell us that's wrong, but you're really looking at how do I leverage to bring the best value and you're doing the best job you can to your children. And that's, yeah, we should absolutely, we should be encouraging women to really negotiate, not just on salary, but for flexibility, you know, for so we can make the kind of career we want, not what society tells us. Well, and it's so helpful for women like me who you know are single and don't have kids yet, and to to see Kelsey and Marguerite, women like you who who are prioritizing family, who who are striking balance, who are kind of navigating this well, and you know even though it might be messy sometimes, like you're doing it to the best of your mm-hmm. ability because it is a little bit daunting as a young woman in the professional world um, to kind of. Be like, okay, you know, one day I might be laying a lot of this down to raise a family. And a lot of people are going to tell me that I'm crazy to do that. You're going to feel like a disappointment to yourself and everyone around you. And that's what we need to change. Yeah. uh, That feeling of disappointment. Yeah. How have you navigated that, Kelsey? (laughs) <laughs> it, it's something I uh, I honestly am working through every day. You know, I just had my second child, and to be um, to be perfectly honest, it's I thought it'd get easier going back to work after my second child because I've done this before. Um, I went back after the first, and uh, it was actually harder. And I'm very mm-hmm. uh, blessed to work in a basically a full time remote position where I don't have to physically leave my children, and that's a huge. Um, 
that's a huge asset to me and a huge value to me. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I would have been able to physically leave my, either of my babies all day. So, um, as Marguerite said, advocating for those remote flexible positions, um, are, are of extreme importance and value to women. Of course, I want to, I want to emphasize different women, different moms want different things, mm-hmm. but for a lot of moms who I've, I've talked to and who I'm friends with, some type of flexibility is, is of great value at this point in our lives and in our careers. And, uh, the more that employers can recognize that, um, you know, the better employees, the happier the employees they'll have and, and the better our families will be because, you know, even if mom's working at home, you know, I love that I am still emotionally available to my children if either of them need me. Yes, that is, I've never regret, even the days that I work on home are probably the most stressful and the most work involved um, (laughs) because the kids don't know I'm working. They come over wanting stuff or they'll just come over and they want to hug and um, it it might be a really tough day. I never regret being home with them and having that. Yeah. Mm, well, thank you both for sharing. It, it's encouraging for me and it's helpful for me. And I'm sure one day we'll be calling on both of you with lots of questions. <laughs> How do you navigate this? <laughs> uh, but lots of other great points that Dennis Prager makes in this article. So we'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes so um, you can check out all of his points and see if you agree. But stay tuned because up next, we discuss the latest drama with our favorite British royal family. All right, so this is a little bit more of a lighthearted topic, but actually it relates very much to our previous segment. We're going to discuss our favorite, least favorite, I'm not sure, <laughs> royal couple, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. So while on a trip in the Netherlands, Prince Harry uh, was making a speech in which he said he wants his children, Archie and Lilibet, to grow up, quote, in a fairer world, a safer world, a more equal world, adding, it's not going to be easy, but I will never, ever, ever rest until I have, as a parent, at least tried to make the world a better place for them because it is our responsibility that the world is the way it is now. Uh, Speaking to two preteen reporters, apparently, uh, Prince Harry continued and said, quote, I don't think that we should be bringing children into the world unless we're going to make that commitment to make it better for them. We cannot steal your future. There's a lot to break down here, <laughs> Virginia Marguerite. Very two short sound bites, but a lot to digest. So, Virginia, I want to start with you uh, and and, the, and address the first um, the first issue he raised about wanting his children to grow up in a fairer and more equal world. Uh, struck me that. Um, isn't Prince Harry a prince who's married to a celebrity? There's something a little strange about a prince telling us we need a more equal world, no? Yeah, no, it, it is funny to um, to think of someone with just the sheer resources and the connections as um, Prince Harry saying... Like I, a literal prince. A literal <laughs> prince, yes. I want a more uh, fair and equal world for my kids. And, and we know... From um, you know the the causes that he and um, his wife Megan are invested in, and from previous comments, 
I, I am making the assumption here he is largely talking about climate justice, um, largely talking about racial justice. Um, these are things that they are super outspoken on. Um, and a, a part of me just sort of, um, I think, feels a little bit <laughs> or a lot frustrated um, by the resources that they have and where they are choosing to put their focus that, you know, right now, as we speak, there's more slaves in the world than any other time in history. There's 40 million people in slavery, that sex slavery, um, various, you know, work camps across the world. Um, like there's real injustice happening in the world and there's real change that is needed. Um, and yet we have people like Prince Harry with all of his resources, um, continually talking about climate change and equity um, and you just sort of want to say to people like that, like, are are you aware of, of reality and, <laughs> you know, of where, you know, you could be making real change and actually be a part of a broader solution? Um, you know, and that's just, you know, areas that aren't controversial. I mean, of course, there's, you know, the greatest injustice of our time, which is, is abortion, um, which they have very different views on. Um, but it it really feels a little bit nonsensical. Well, speaking of fairness and equality, together as a couple, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are worth millions uh, between their uh, mental health company that's reported that's worth a reported $10 million. They have a massive Netflix deal that uh, notably has resulted in nothing so far. <laughs> uh, they have a reported $25 million Spotify deal and Prince Harry inherited $10 million from his mom. So I guess I kind of want to ask them, like, if, doesn't a more fair and equal society mean starting with you? Like, if you want fairness, how about you spread your own wealth? I, you know, I, I personally, I, I am not a communist. I don't think he has an obligation to do that. But if you're going to go around lecturing others about fairness and equality, I say you start, Prince Harry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Marguerite, I wanted to ask you about the second part where Prince Harry said we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't be bringing children into this world unless we're going to make that commitment to make it a better place from them. We cannot steal your future. Um, we've heard this kind of thing from the royal couple before. And, you know, personally, I don't feel that I need a prince and a B-list celebrity who I have to admit, I actually recently watched the Suits series. And <laughs> I, I, I like hated that I loved it, but I did. I got very into it. I watched it during my maternity leave. But anyways, that's a, that's a different, different matter. <laughs> but I don't feel that I need a prince and a B-list a celebrity telling me whether I should or shouldn't bring children into the world. And Margaret, I, I'd like to know who gets to decide what making the world better for our children means. Right. I mean, I, I agree. If, if they're staying in America and they say we cannot steal from your future, then they should look to our federal government because our federal government is stealing from our children right now in the way that they are spending in deficits and debt. Um, so if if they were on board with that, but of course, like you said, it's 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 all just kind of this communist talking points uh, or Marxist talking points about oh we can't bring kids into the world unless no th there is no perfect situation if there's a baby that baby's coming into the world um, that's that's how we should be looking to uh, improve our society like our society is not better off. Um, from population control, whether that's abortion or other things. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, these are just these are two people. I thought Harry gave up his crown. So uh, to me, he's not even royalty anymore. <laughs> 
um, that that have thoughts, and that's great. We we believe in the freedom of thoughts and mm-hmm. speech, but yeah, they. Well, they, we they believe aren't. in freedom of thoughts and speech over here in the United <laughs> States, but over in the UK, they have a very different idea right. about free speech. And, right, right. And Prince Harry has actually, you know, brought legal action relating to that. So I don't think he believes in free speech as much as you do, Marguerite. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Well, I think even, you know, in thinking about, okay, for, for individuals like them, you know, what what is their obligation to society? Do they have an obligation to society? And I, you know, I think in part, you know, gosh, if if they want to change the world, you know, shouldn't they be bringing more kids into the world that they can train up in, you know, in with their values to be a part of the solution, to be a part of the change, to be a part of fixing the problems um, that they feel are problems in the world? Like that's usually been um, the most effective model we've kind of seen throughout throughout the the ages is, you know, if if you want to create a, a value system, a, a culture, you actually have a lot of kids um, and then you raise them up, <laughs> biblically speaking, in the way you want them to go. Uh, so it, it's an interesting approach that Harry and Megan are taking. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. And we, when we come back, we'll share the problematic woman of the week. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. Now it is that time, once again, our favorite time of the week. It is time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to the anonymous libs of TikTok creator, who a so-called journalist at the Washington Post is trying to dox. So the hypocrisy of the story is really on a new level. Uh, Taylor Lorenz is a tech columnist with the Washington Post who recently sobbed on MSNBC about how she felt when people published her private information online. Here's a clip of that. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. And terrifying. It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. It's It's overwhelming. It's really hard. But now, after claiming she's a victim of online harassment, Lorenz has investigated and exposed the real identity of an anonymous social media user for the crime of operating an anonymous Twitter account that simply reposts all the stupid and insane things that woke liberals are saying and doing online. It's not her own content. She is the the libs of TikTok. A founder simply reposts videos that woke activists or just woke everyday people are posting on on TikTok and other social media platforms. So this Washington Post columnist went so far as to show up at uh, the relative's home of the libs of TikTok uh, founder and ask them questions. Uh, You know, I have to ask, is this what journalism has come to? Doxing a private citizen? Um, You know, and, and personally, I'd like that 
I'd like an answer to that, not only from Taylor Lorenz, but also her bosses at the Washington Post, including her editor who enabled this, who it appears after the publication of this piece, very much is standing by her. Mm, yeah. Well, and I mean, it, I mean, it, it is wild. It's like, Kelsey, you're right. Like, has journalism come to this where really it's bullying, it's online harassment and bullying at its worst. Um, and just like you say, this account, it's she's not um, the founder of this account is not putting words in the mouth of the far left. She's just sharing the content in one place. So it's easy to find for everyone. Uh, and it, it is, it's a pretty entertaining uh, news feed if, if you scroll through it because, I mean, it's, it's wild. And some of the videos you watch and you think, I, I just can't believe that anyone thinks that this is okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it, she's not saying anything that the left isn't exactly saying about themselves. Yeah, Marguerite, were you watching this drama unfold? <laughs> Yes. I First of all, I love the libs of TikTok because I refuse to get on TikTok. I don't want China spying <laughs> on me. You. So this is the only way I can see what the crazy people on TikTok are doing. And all she's done is pulled the curtain back. And the libs, they hate the transparency. They hate that they're being... Their 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 madness is being shown out there and people are saying, no, we don't want any part of that. You know, and, and that's why, to me, this is just... This is nothing more than yellow journalism, right? Back in the day, you know, this is just targeted hit pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've always had that, but it's 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 pretty obvious. And they're trying to say, oh, no, this is noble and awesome. And it's it's not. Mm-hmm. As the libs of TikTok account holder told Tucker Carlson this week, the left is triggered by seeing their own opinions being publicized. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, well, that seems like uh, the perfect place to uh, sign off for this week. Yes, join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes a huge difference. Marguerite, thank you so much for joining us. We loved having you on, and we hope you and all of our listeners have a wonderful week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.